Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Joystick Wagglers. It's Luke Owen here from Under Consultation, and we are nearing the end of Series 3, which means we're closing in on our end of Series wrap-up, and we want to hear from you. What have you made of this detour little series of two halves, the very divisive series of Games Master? What have been your highlights? What have been your lowlights? Let us know by sending us either written or MP3 thoughts to feedback at underconsultation.com before May first that's feedback at underconsultation.com get in touch right let's get on with the show Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championship Semi-Finals. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and let's go Git. And still proudly a Git myself, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 8th of February 1994. D-Ream are still top of the pops, but we have a new box office number one, and it's time to party on Wayne and party on Garth. Again, it's Wayne's World 2. No way! Paramount Pictures presents... Extreme Closer! Whoa! Just like the first movie. Wait, it's Heather Locklear. There is a god. Heather be thy name. And Garth. I feel weird. In their first movie since their last one. What's it called? It's called, uh, the... It's called Wayne's World 2. Yes! Wow. I do love that the tagline for this is exactly the same as the first one, which is, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl. And this was just, you'll laugh again it'll cry again you'll hell again now it's worth saying off the bat that this film is not as good as the first film no it's not but i think i like it more for reasons that we'll get into two big things happened with this second film the first is that the director of the first film did not return penelope spheris i believe was her name and essentially she thinks that myers wanted her off the film because they clashed on the first film 
So she was off the project, but then went on to work on the big screen adaptation of the Beverly Hillbillies, which was a film. It certainly was. It did happen. I saw it at the cinema. I can confirm. I don't have many films I regret seeing at the cinema, but the Beverly Hillbillies was definitely one of them. Even at my relatively young age, I was still like, woo. <laughs> I didn't think Jim Varney could do any wrong, and yet here we are. <laughs> the other thing I didn't know is that there was a completely different script for this movie, which had Wayne and Garth forming their own country and seceding from the US after finding an ancient scroll in a story that was essentially a reworking of a 1945 Ealing comedy called Passport to Pimlico. They were into pre-production on this. They were building sets. They were doing casting. They were doing costumes. And then the studio found out. (laughs) And they had not obtained the rights to Passport to Pimlico because Uh even if you're doing kind of a parody or a send-up, the way litigation goes, you've got to have that permission to do something that was inspired what is it the uh, the island is one that i remember because that that kind of rips off a film that was so bad that it was on mystery science theater 3000 parts the cloneless horror doesn't mm. matter how shit it was they still had to have permission and i believe they got successfully sued over that one the studio halted production the director steven serjak said that he could literally hear the chainsaws chopping the sets down and studio exec Sherry Lansing was reportedly furious with Myers and threatened to ruin his life and career if he did not immediately produce a new script. So what we actually get is the continuing story of Wayne and Garth. They're now producing their public access TV show from an abandoned factory in Aurora, Illinois. And after an Aerosmith concert, Wayne has a dream in which he meets Jim Morrison and a weird naked Indian dude in a desert. Not just Jim Morrison, he's Jim Morrison. I'm a dead rock star. I've checked, Luke. He was definitely a dead rock star at that point. He was. And he definitely was a weird naked Indian. Did you not think that seeing the naked <laughs> Indian's buttocks were gratuitous? <laughs> the crack in the Indian's bottom. I oh, had the exact same dream. The naked Indian <laughs> and dead Jim Morrison convince Wayne that his destiny is to organise a major music festival, which is dubbed Wayne Stock. I was going to say, like, so they did, they wanted to do Passport to Pimlico, and instead they just do Field of Dreams instead. They even directly refer to it, to the, (laughs) if you build it, they will come. If you book them, they will come. I mean, maybe they thought they could get away with it because it wasn't an entire plot, it was more a few references. Because, I mean, one was Universal and the other was released by Paramount, so they didn't have the kind of gimme of, well, we're the same studio. But we've kind of just made reference to the fact that there was this other character, and one of the things they do is they hire Jim Morrison's former roadie called Del Preston. He's called Del Preston. He's played by Ralph Brown. But to me, and possibly to you, he's not Del Preston. He's Danny the Dealer from Withnail and I. For me, he like Withnail is not a movie that's much within my zeitgeist. So for me, he is Del. Like, but like, because I then I saw Whitnell at a much later date and was like, oh my god, it's Del Preston. I mean, it's worth saying that Del is a much more likable character. Like, I'd share a joint with Del Preston. I would not share a joint <laughs> with Danny the Dealer because God knows literally what you're smoking. Apparently, he was a very late addition to the script and literally happened after Dana Carvey saw a screening of Whitnell and I in Los Angeles. And the reason why it's Del and not Danny is purely because there would be a massive age difference and therefore he's viewed as a spiritual reprisal. 
The other surprising addition to the cast is Kim Basinger. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's Garth's love interest. Who literally got kind of hassled into the film because Dana Carvey again just cold called her and was very sweet and very nice. And he said, we're going to have a lot of fun. Please come and do this with us. And she said, no. And then she changed her mind, much like I did. No, wait, no, she didn't. He just kept calling. Mm -hmm. And essentially, she did eventually get sent the script. And she showed it to Alec Baldwin, her husband at the time. I say at the time because I can't remember which of the Baldwins is married to who at this point. And he said, you've got to do this. This will be a lot of fun. This is a very funny role. And the basically the kind of the echo effect of getting it from Dana and from her husband meant that she decided to do it. And she did say it was a blast. Dana was wonderful. It was a gift to be given in the middle of the year. Yeah, she has some of the funniest scenes in the movie as well. Like, I really like the stuff between her and Garth because Garth's so sweet. And like, there are some things that always rattle through my brain. Things like, can I, I'm going to be frank. Okay, can I still be Garth? And would you like to have dinner some night? Well, I like to have dinner every night. And there's she puts on the uh, sexy music when she's trying to seduce him. And she's just like, do you have any Megadeth? <laughs> she gives him the whiskey. <laughs> Ugh, this Coke's gone bad. Bless Garth. And hey, let's not forget that between the first and the second movie, Garth finally got pubes. <laughs> you didn't tell him about my pubes, did you? No, of course not. <laughs> This movie does not have a good plot. I mean, the first movie doesn't have a great plot. It's a lot of fun. But this movie wins on absurdity, like when he's trying to pitch who he's going to get there and he's just seeing all these things and he's just like, we're going to get like Aerosmith and Rip Taylor. And yeah. no, he's just going through all these different things and Garth is just completely unaware of what's going on. And oh, oh brother, it's one of the last times, I think, where the majority of Mike Myers' improving lands. This movie has aged better than Austin Powers. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of Austin Powers that is just... It, it doesn't play so well now for a variety of reasons. But Wayne's World 2, for the most part, is pretty fucking harmless. It's absurdist comedy. Uh, Del Preston is probably the greatest comedy gift, and you can tell that both uh, Dana and Myers were clearly enamoured with having him on board because they just give him some of the absolute best scenes. Like when we finally get to Waynestock, because it does kind of happen, and he's just like going, okay, now machine gun nests are mounted on the left-hand, right-hand side of the stage. Now these babies do run a little hot, so controlled, short, bursts. They just let it run, and there's the whole roadie training montage. He gets the best material. Yeah, because it's him and Farley working together. Like, so that's also some really nice, like, I don't have no place to go. Like, so there's some really, like, like fun stuff between them. Also, he has the best monologue of the movie. Here I am in Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon, at three o'clock in the morning, looking for 1,000 brown M&Ms to fill a brandy glass, or Ozzy wouldn't go on stage that night. So... Jeff Beck pops his head round the door and mentions there's a little sweet shop on the edge of town. So, we go. And it's closed. So there's me and Keith Moon and David Crosby breaking into this little sweet shop, right? Well, instead of a guard dog, they've got this bloody great big Bengal tiger. Well, I managed to take out the tiger with a can of mace. But the shop owner and his son, that's a different story altogether. 
I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Nasty business, really. But sure enough, I got the M&Ms and Ozzy went on stage and did a great show. Oh, (laughs) there's some films I've rewatched before doing an episode and there's some that I've watched after. We're approaching a bank holiday. I'd be amazed if I make it through the weekend without watching Wayne's World 2 just for Ralph Brown's performance. Like, its its biggest problem is that because, like, it's you, you said that there's not much of a plot, like the first one didn't have much of a plot, and it's basically the same plot as the first one, which is just that there is a person who is in some sort of management, this time it's Christopher Walken, it's not Rob Lowe, who is trying to sabotage Wayne while also trying to get with Cassandra. So a lot of it kind of, like, plays the same beats, only this time you've got James Hong in there, so you can do like the uh, the, the martial arts and the um, uh, the dubbing over of voices, which I do think is really funny. And I think James Hong is so so good in it as well. So there is some like there is some really good stuff in there, but it is like like you said at the start of this, it's not as good as the first one. But it is a very easy watch. Like the, it just breezes by. The last time I watched it, which I think was last year because I think it was actually after we talked about Wayne's World uh, with Bohemian Rhapsody. It was right after we recorded like episode one of Under Consultation. Yeah. I went home and I watched Wayne's World 2 because I just needed something light and breezy to end the night on. And it is lighter and breezier than the first film. Sadly, it didn't do so well at the box office. It didn't do so well with the critics. It got mixed to positive reviews. It was meant to be a Christmas blockbuster, but it didn't. It grossed $48 million against a $40 million production budget, much less than the original's $100 million plus take. But it also struggled from competition because the other three films that were raking in big bucks over the Christmas period in America, Mrs. Doubtfire, which we covered last week, The Pelican Brief and Schindler's List. Yeah, we get Schindler's in a couple of weeks uh, in our timeline as well. I think it's like the last box office number one that we have. To use one of your expressions, I haven't got a blues clue how we're going to cover Schindler's list because (laughs) guess what? We're not going to get many yucks out of that one. No, no, we're really not, are we? But it's an amazing film. You know, I'm not going to take away from the film at all, but it's uh, it's going to be a tough one. And it's also going to be weird to be covering it on our last episode of the season. Yeah, the sort of celebratory end of season, the end of school term thing. Man, I mean, I'm sure you, like me, used to do the end of term movie thing at school. Can you imagine oh, yeah. your end of term movie being Schindler's List? I was going to say, yeah, you'd bring in board games and videos. I don't think Schindler's List would have been one of the ones that got brought in. Uh, on the video game side of things, we have got a new top game uh, in the charts. Uh, you might have noticed last week I started talking about the chart, and that's because uh, Ash found an amazing blog that has got basically all of the charts from our time period now. So we were able to talk about the charts, which is excellent. And there's a new entry in at the top of it. It's FIFA International Soccer. FIFA has now topped the charts uh, and Sensible Soccer on the Super Nintendo is a brand new entry and I'm pretty sure FIFA is going to be there um, until Sonic 3 comes out in a couple of weeks' time. I think we talked quite a lot about FIFA, but I will give you a couple of other bits of news from the world of TV and music, which I thought you might find interesting. Now, there isn't an exact date for this one, but it did happen in the month of February, which is the ITC decides to re-advertise the Channel 5 broadcasting license but first must see confirmation that the frequencies our plans to allocate to the channel are still available. 
Channel 5, which doesn't get launched until, what, 97, 98, maybe? It's interesting that we are sort of like hearing our first rumblings of it now. I'm trying to remember if we actually ended up having Channel 5 with its launch. I mean, I certainly remember the, I actually remember the fact that this was still being banded around this early and that they were still kind of like taking bids or proposals or stuff. And man, it's amazing what actually won it, really. Yeah, we ha- we got it. Um, and I could just about get it in my bedroom, but we could get it downstairs because we were there for the launch because the Spice Girls uh, performed for the, the the launch of Channel 5. Um, but this last piece uh, from the world of music, I thought very much because it, it ticks the boxes for both you and I, which is on February 11th, the three surviving members of the Beatles secretly reunite to begin recording additional music for a few of John Lennon's old unfinished demos. The track Free as a Bird is released as a single in late 1995 as part of the exhaustive Beatles anthology project reaching number two in the UK and number six in the States. I've got a real soft spot for the Beatles anthology documentary series. The the CD's less so and primarily because there's way more interesting Beatles outtakes out there than what actually made it onto those three volumes. And whilst the TV show is sanitised in the same way that Bohemian Rhapsody was very sanitised, it's still fascinating for the archive footage and the interviews. And I've kind of got a soft spot for Free as a Bird and Real Love, although, and I think this is not exactly a controversial opinion, it's very much Jeff Lynne presents the remaining Beatles, because you could stick these songs on an ELO compilation and it would kind of fit. But I can understand why George brought um, Jeff Lynne in because he's grumpy but slightly affable and I imagine he stopped a lot of the old tensions reappearing. Mm. Yeah, Free as a Bird, like it, it is quite a nice song. Um, I was listening to it just the other day just to sort of like refresh myself, but it's not, like the, I think the video is gorgeous. Like the video oh, absolutely. Really, oh, it's so, so lovely. And I think the video might be the best thing about the song, really, as, as nice as it is. It is not a remarkable Beatles track or a John Lennon track. But what's going on in the world of the magazines? Well, there is an interview in here that I'm actually going to save and send to you because it's a two-page spread on your favourite crush and potential future romantic partner, <laughs> Jet, or the games mistress, gets an interview with, I'll be honest, some fairly revealing photos oh, for yeah? <laughs> a video game magazine there's a lot of thigh on display like you think the amount Crikey. of you think the amount of thigh that you see in her normal gladiators outfit more oh that that blimey hell that is a lot of thigh isn't it <laughs> that that's a look it's a bodybuilder <laughs> it's it's one of those things that bodybuilders wear to kind of reveal as much of their muscular form as possible but it is um it's a look For now, I'm going to go back to the network, which we visited last week with some fairly scandalous and, to be honest, Bobbins news articles. This stuff is a bit more interesting. This is American news. They've got a separate section for US news now, which includes the fact that the Mega Drive version of virtual racing is breaking all the records, specifically the records for how much the cartridge is going to cost. That's what I was actually going to suspect this was, because you know, we talked about this recently with their sort of premium cartridges that they're now selling for Street Fighter and Eternal Champions and things like that. And I would imagine that, yeah, 3D virtual racing is probably going to like cost a fair few bob. $100 was the suggested retail <laughs> price here. And they say here that that translates to £100. Yeah, and that proper ties into what we were talking about back with the CES coverage of Sega wanting these prestige cartridges and these sort of like prestige prices on things like that. But elsewhere, 
in the American news is some news on the Sega Saturn, where they say that Sega's 32-bit successor to the Mega CD is, perhaps unlike Nintendo's Project Reality, very much in existence. Gamesmaster can confirm that a number of key developers on both sides of the Atlantic are in possession of Saturn dev kits and are currently beavering away developing the first range of 32-bit games. Saturn has been in development for quite a while now, and with the guts basically emulating the working interior of Sega's universally fab 32-bit coin-ops, things like Rabmobile and Virtua Racing, you can all jolly well look forward to some spiffing games and no mistake. So is the machine as good as all the hype suggests? The answer is yes. Saturn could easily recreate the coin-op version of Virtua Racing without breaking a sweat, revealed one developer. Of course, we'll have to see when Sega intend to release the beast and how much they'll be charging for it. The good news is that a figure of less than $200 (gasps) has been touted in the US. No way. I mean, I said these articles weren't bullshit, but that bit is 100% bullshit. I mean, it might have been right at the time. I will say this, because a few weeks ago, I alluded to the fact I was going to get a Saturn. I now have a Saturn. I've even installed an optical drive emulator, so obtaining some of those harder games has become a lot easier. Word of warning, if you plan to do any mods to a Sega Saturn, the entire interior is made of tissue paper and wasps and (laughs) is just a hateful, hateful machine to do mods on. Maybe I just had it easy with the PS3 and the GameCube, but I positively despised working on this machine. (laughs) But I'm really enjoying the games I'm playing so far, and it's really nice to have Sega Rally and Panzer Dragoon and Daytona. Yeah, Panzer Dragoon is a, a game that I absolutely love. When I had my Saturn, that was a game that I played a heck of a lot of, that and Bug. But I'm sure as we move into Series 4, I know we are going to get way more on the Sega Saturn. We're also going to get way more on Project Reality, which is the last bit of news I'll cover for today. The article says that Nintendo's much-hyped Project Reality deal with Silicon Graphics to produce a world-beating 64-bit successor to the SNES has been dubbed Pure Hot Air by a lot of key US video game insiders. I'll believe it when I see it. It would seem that as soon as Sega or whoever announced plans to release a new piece of hardware, the knee-jerk reaction of Nintendo's marketing department is to claim that Nintendo are planning something better without ever coming up with the goods, argues one third-party developer who wishes to remain anonymous. Next, we hear that Silicon Graphics may be having second thoughts about the deal. Then we hear elsewhere that Nintendo will have an early prototype up and running at the Las Vegas CES show in January. One thing's for sure, and that is that it's best not to believe anything until you've seen it yourself. And that is, that kind of sort of rings a bit true. I'm not sure about the winter CES, but I'm pretty sure the summer CES, which is like the last of the Sega and Nintendo presentations at CES, they don't have Project Reality there. Their big thing there is Donkey Kong Country. And Sega went out there to do like their big launch of the Saturn and Tom Kalinske had to reveal the price of it, which did not go down well. And Sony trumped them by announcing $100 less for their PlayStation. But yeah, Nintendo was all about Donkey Kong Country. Because I'm pretty sure like their whole presentation is them on stage, like in safari getups, hunting hedgehogs to, to promote the game, if I remember correctly. Mad scenes, absolutely <laughs> mad scenes and not at all cringeworthy in 2021. <laughs> One thing that does go with this news article that I'll show you and I'll see if I can remember to post this on social media with it is an artist's impression of Project (laughs) Reality. So to forgive you, you know, for audio purposes, it looks like an Amiga CD32 with a VR headset. Yes, it does. But important thing there, Luke, 
It's a CD-based console. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought you were going to point out the hot air balloon. I mean, no, I'm not going to point out. That's because they, the whole thing of Nintendo being full of hot air. It's a play on words. Yeah. But the one thing I did notice that did come true, how many controller ports? Yeah. There's four ports there, yeah. There's also something about Street Fighter the movie I see at the bottom. It's a whole separate story, and maybe one we'll get into before we're done with this particular issue of the magazine. Okay, right, this is the first of our semi-finals. We've got nine teams have got through, three of which will be competing tonight. The winning team, well, they go through to their place in the final, where they're going to have a chance to win loads of mega prizes, believe me, as well as the title of Games Master Team Champions. It is the first of the semi-finals, but perhaps more importantly, it's a new day of filming. Yes, it is, which means the crowd are hot again, which is lovely after last week. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely fantastic some extra vigor back in the dressing room and he's fired up and ready to go but Luke we've finally made it to the semis we've got three semi-finals one final nine teams down to three and then down to one and it's going to be some faces familiar some of them welcome some of them not I'm looking at you elite three but old time's sake let's go and meet the teams team before i happen to know that they're called the gits aren't you guys that's right that's right come on tell us your names steve steve snell snell brad brad right here they all are the gits you did quite well in the first round didn't you in your heat so how are you going to do on the semis yeah we're going to cane everyone <laughs> <laughs> well he's absolutely serious about it give him a big round of applause and we're going to meet the next team we've got the gits. Hawks, we've seen them before as well. Tell us your names. Sam. Sam, all right, Sam? Paul. How are you doing, Paul? Matthew. Matthew! So, how do you think you're going to do? Um, well, in the practice, they're about the same as us, so we'll, be, we'll do all right. About the same, about the same. Is that true, lads? About the same? No. No, no, they don't seem to think so. Well, good luck to you anyway. I'm sure you're going to need it. All right, let's go and meet the next team. Give them a big cheer. I'm sure they got their posse with them, they did have last yeah, time. Got, got your posse here. Yep. Go on, tell us your names. Chris. Say hello to the people at home. Robert. Robert. James. James. All right, how are you going to do? Tell us about tonight's show. What are you going to do? Some We're good gonna stuff? We're going to outclass all of them. We're just the top. Your top yeah. team, yeah? Yeah. Top team? Kick ass, yeah. You kill all. I don't know if you can say that, but he said it anyway. And we're kicking things off with our boys as well, the Gits. My team to win this whole thing, because I bloody loved the Gits when they're heats, and I'm really happy to see them back here, because um, they think they're just going to cane everyone. But my favorite thing in this whole sequence here is when they're interviewing the Humber Hawks and he goes, oh, I think we were about the same in practice. Dex turns around and he says, is that true? And one member of the Gits just off mic goes, no, no. It's <laughs> so good. The Humber Hawks section also contains my favorite bit, which is as they're coming out, Dex is vamping and goes, he's a Humber, he's a Hawk. And and he realises he's run out. And he's like, he's a humble hawk. There we go. Sorted. <laughs> and the Dream Team have got their posse with them again, back from their hate. And the Dream Team legitimately talk some smack because they say they're going to outclass all of them and they're going to kick ass. And Dex doesn't know if they can say that, but they said it anyway. Rock on, Dream Team. They're the bad boys of this group, it would seem. Yeah, I mean, we, I talked about this, I can't remember when now, that I was starting to flag a little bit in the, the heat of the team championships. But I've got to admit, like, as soon as I, I found out this was a semi-final, I did like the crowd. I had a renewed vigor in this. And, you know, it was the returning teams. And I actually did get quite excited. But even more excited by, we have got a slight change of format here. Because the 
heats were all about playing new games. These games are about going back to the past and playing some old style games. And when I say old games, games that came out like a year or so ago. And it is such a smart move because you want these finals to be as close and as tense as possible to make really good television. And some of the new games we've played, if they're fighting games, they can try and apply Street Fighter logic and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But by going back to games, they've actually had more of a chance of owning and playing. It should make a difference. And I think this first choice of game definitely hints at what's to come. But what are we playing, Games Master? For tonight's first classic challenge, I've selected the high-tech and well-dubbed Star Wing for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants have 45 seconds to score as many points as possible by destroying enemy craft with their smart bombs or blasters. Additional points can be got by steering the spaceship through the hoops. I'll award five points to the team with the highest score, two for second place, and zero for the losers. So bloody exactly a bit of star wing to kick us off here this really got me in the mood I, w- I was really in for this but this isn't just star wing as you can see on the screen behind dave and dex this is star wing competition edition which is a special limited run cartridge that was used for the star fox weekend type events or star wing weekend events here in the uk and those three levels are timed to four minutes each excluding the cinematics And essentially, the scoring system has been reworked, so it's based around high scores. You get different points for hitting enemies, you get different points for killing enemies, different points for destroying structures, going through rings. So it was designed for competition, which makes it a brilliant, brilliant choice of game to kick off these semi-finals. It's also a bloody rare game to see a physical cartridge of. Now, it's been dumped Mm. and it's out there and you can emulate it, although some emulators make it possible to cheat because the emulators underclock the Super FX chip, meaning it runs slower, meaning you've actually got more time to aim and shoot. So you can game the system and get above the potential high score of 172,000. That was the theoretical limit. We're not going to see it in this episode because they've only got 45 seconds. Okay, so the game is Star Wing. Steve of the Gits is up first. Dave, is he any kind of pilot or is he rubbish or what? Well, Star Wing's a great game. Unfortunately, Steve's not a great player. In the previous heats of the challenges, he actually lost on Mean Beam Machine. And so he's probably the wobbliest member of his side. And what I particularly love uh, about the fact that this is the semi-finals is that Dave is not just relying on stats that have been given to them. You know, like you talked about this last week where it was just like, oh, he beat this game, but he wouldn't tell us what difficulty it was on or yeah he's really good at sensible soccer but this is a driving game so we don't really know how that's going to translate here now dave can talk about the heat so steve of the gits is up first and he can you know provide some really nice colors to this which is steve lost his challenge on dr robotnik's mean beam machine so that sets him up now as a character playing this game and then dex wonderfully punctuates this by saying okay then steve you get Start your challenge. Off you go, mate. Good luck. I love that because he can get that past the census because that's the name of the team, Luke. (laughs) But he does pretty well. He uses some very smart tactics. He's clearly had a chance to practice, not just on Star Wing by maybe owning it, but also on this competition edition. Because normally you save your Nova bombs for when you're overwhelmed or when you're facing off against a boss and you really want to whack the health down. 
But here, the smart place to use the Nova bombs is when you've got obstacles or enemies that you wouldn't be able to shoot both of. So if you've got towers on both sides of the screen that you could only shoot one of in the time allowed, drop a Nova bomb and the explosion takes both of them out. And that is how he plays this game. He doesn't take much in the way of hits. In fact, the only collision he has is with a piece of scenery. He doesn't take any fire from any enemies. And I'd say the only thing that stopped him scoring higher was actually the speed of the game. I think he ran pretty much full tilt for most of it and didn't really use the brake button at all. He used the speed boost a few times, but he knew that level fairly well. And at the end, he had a score of 8,004, which Dave said was pretty good. And I would agree. Yeah, he felt like he was massively in control, which is the same for Paul of the Humberside Hawks as well. It looks like he is not going to get as much as Steve does. It is in the last milliseconds of this that he has that Nova Bomb tactic that you were talking about and just ekes his score over to 8,017. So Steve got 8,004. Paul gets 8,014. It is like literally just over and it is in milliseconds of the time running out. It's so super close. Yeah, it, it, he definitely, he misses enemies that Steve got at the beginning, but he gets slightly further and that's, that's what makes a difference. But he gets slightly further and I think he goes through more rings or goes through more arches and so he picks up a bit extra there, but oh, that, it's that's close. It's so close. It's 13 points close. Next up is Chris and the Dream Team. He's the last man on his challenge. Dave, has he got some hard work or what ahead of him? Well, Chris was another hit when he came first in the Elfmania challenge that we had a few oh, hits no, back. But he's a very cool player, and he's seen what everyone else has done. He knows where all the points are, and I expect him to get very close to that score. All right, then! Last up is Chris of the Dream Team, who Dave says is a very cool player and has the advantage of seeing the other players and knowing where all the points are. I mean, you'd have hoped rehearsal would have also taken care of that. His challenge follows the other two, but his deployment of Nova Bombs isn't quite as sharp. He's either a bit early or a bit late. There's some enemies that he misses completely. And he also uses the brake more, I think, so he doesn't get Mm -hmm. quite as far into the level. And so despite following mostly the same path as those that went before him, he ends on 7,764. But even so, that's not actually that much. That's 250 points-ish. Yeah, and he is gutted as well like like you can see the look on his face that it is it really came down to his use of the nova bombs and they just weren't quite on par with the other two players and he is so annoyed at himself here because like you know this is the semi-finals and the very first challenge that puts your team into last place but oh such a tight challenge let's go over to the scoreboards and see where we stand. In third position is the Dream Team. They didn't do so well on that challenge. They've got no points. In second position is the Gits. They've got two points. But in front of the moment is the Hawks with five points. Give them a cheer. Okay, well, the Hawks are definitely through to the final. So it's now coming down to the Gits versus the Dream Team. So still, there's every chance that the Gits can still make it into the finals here. Keeping my fingers crossed, man. And keeping them crossed as we go into the reviews. Tonight we take a look at the new Nintendo football games, beginning with Virtual Soccer, a sports sim that tries to take the ball away from the opposition with a four-player simultaneous play and a choice of player speeds. Virtual Soccer kicks off in good style with a great selection of strips and a great selection of view angles. You get different chants across the world, you get the chance for unlimited fouls if the ref isn't on screen, and you get some nice Mode 7 graphics on the pitch. One player boarding, two player so-so. Middle of the road. If it stays there for much longer, it's going to get hit by a truck.
We've got Alex Lee from Super Action, James Bins from Total, and our boy Brad from Mega Action back once again like a renegade master. And like we said last week that they were all themed around basketball. They're all themed again this time, but around football. But like last week's was definitely done to promote NBA Jam. I'm not sure why these ones were all themed around football because like our last game doesn't really feel like it is unless of course it was some paid for advertising i'm not sure what do you think well i let, let's start at the beginning because there are three football games here but one of them really isn't a yeah. football game i mean the first one is virtual soccer j league super soccer in japan it's a hudson soft football game fairly standard the Japanese version was all featuring clubs from the top division of Japan Professional Football League. The European version went with national teams. There were different views, either left to right or top down. Lots of different options. It's a fairly standard sports game. It does have a four-player multi-tap option, which is pretty cool. Alex is quite fond of it. He says it kicks off in great style. James says you get different chants from across the world, unlimited fouls if the referee is off the pitch, and some nice Mode 7 graphics. Brad is the Debbie Downer of this group who says one player boring, two player middle of the road. And if it stays there much longer, it'll get hit by a truck. Yeah, I mean, because you said it was like a fairly sort of average type of sim. And that's kind of what Brad says really here. It is middle of the road. Yeah, 78%. It's not it's not a dreadful score. But yeah, Brad is not keen on this. I do wonder if this comes also into how much time people had to play it because you'd have thought you'd have thought of something for the four-player mode or maybe they didn't get to try it. Maybe they didn't have a multi-tap. Hudson Soft did like multi-tap games of course, Hudson Soft behind Bomberman. Bomberman yeah. needs a multi-tap to be really enjoyable. What would it be like to play in a footy game where the teams were 15 foot tall? Well, that's what you've got when it comes to Empire Soccer, which attempts to breathe new life into your boots. Give it all your God, lads. Well, you've got some very funny cartoony sprites, burly little fellas who amble around. You've got a very strange shaped pitch. It's square and it has vast goals. There's a lot of special moves which you don't see in other soccer games, such as the banana kick. It's absolutely wild. Empire Soccer is absolutely massive. When I say it's massive, it's one of those games that doesn't take itself too seriously. Up next, this is a curio. Because a version of this did come out, I think, for either the Amiga or the PC or similar. Guess which version didn't come out? The SNES version? Never released. Wow. It was complete. It was there. It was reviewed. And it never got released. There is still, to the best of my knowledge, some question as to why not. Some thinks it comes down to royalties. Some thinks it comes down to maybe the quality of the overall product. But it's unknown. I haven't actually checked to see if there is a ROM leaked out there, if it's come out. But I do find it fascinating that this is another game that was basically complete but that never came out. We've had a few. Mm -hmm. We've had quite a lot recently, yeah. The 3D game, like the big Games Master 3D game that never came out. Absolutely fascinating, but not nearly as fascinating as this last game. Aliens have kidnapped the World Cup. Liberty. Get it back in, soccer kid. You've got 15 levels of meaning field action with only a ball to your feet to save the day and find Footy's greatest prize. You can kick the ball in the air, dribble it around. Knock people off the skateboards, take out Rottweilers. Graphics are spot on, sound spot on. It's a platform game with a difference. If you can master the control mechanism, you're on for a good time. So I kind of theorised that this might have been a pay-for promotional thing. And I kind of get that out, that from here because this is Soccer Kid, which is a platform game. It's not Marco's Magic Football, which is what it bloody looks like. But it follows that similar thing of Marco, which is you are a platform game and your attack weapon is a football. 
like but they are very very positive about all of this because like brad's calling it like the graphics are spot on james is like oh yeah it's a platform game with a difference it's really good you know alex talked about you can kick uh, the ball at people on skateboards and stuff it's 86 percent. they're very very positive about this and that's interesting because this game was originally an amiga game it was developed and published by chrysalis software in europe and in the game, players assumed the role of the main protagonist who travels across seven countries around the world in order to repair the World Cup by retrieving pieces that were stolen by an alien pirate called Scab. It was created by most of the same team who'd worked on the fairly popular actual football game, the Manchester United-based games. Whilst initially released with the Amiga, it was later ported to other home computers, including the 3DO, the Amiga CD32, the Game Boy Advance, the Atari Jaguar, mm-hmm. MS-DOS, PlayStation, and the SNES, with each one being slightly different or having additions compared to the original version. There were also a number of conversions for other systems that were just never released. Now, on the Amiga, it actually got positive reviews. They praised the graphics, the gameplay, the replay value. They were a little critical of the difficulty in sound design, but the SNES version was much more mixed who felt the graphics, sound design and gameplay were uh, maybe not so great. The CD32 and the 3DO ports got the most positive reviews. The Jaguar port was received with mixed opinions from viewers who basically felt it did not improve on the graphics and audio from the 16-bit version, which I'm not surprised by because you can only polish a football so much. But also that sounds like the review of every Jaguar 64 game that's just like <laughs> that was a port of a 16-bit one. But this game here gets 86%, which is definitely not a middling game. And definitely a case where I think either these guys really, really like this game or there was some paid promotion. 86%. Fucking hell. Yeah, I mean, something smells rotten in the state of Denmark here. Absolutely. And whilst last week's did feel fairly much a foregone conclusion, because guess what? NBA Jam is that good. I'm not sold on Soccer Kid. No, me neither. Particularly having read that the SNES version is not even the best version, that I'd be better off playing the Amiga version or maybe even the CD32. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that that really has kind of like clarified it a little bit for me now that this probably was, yeah, a bit of money exchanging hands. But that was everything that was fresh and definitely something that was funky. Oh, it's time to get back to those classic challenges, Luke. What are we playing, Games Master? For this evening's platform game... It gives me great pleasure to welcome back an old friend, Sonic the Hedgehog for the Sega Mega Drive. The task is simple. Race to the end of the Green Hill Zone in the quickest time, and victory will be yours. As usual, five points will be awarded to the team with the fastest time, two to second place, and zero to the losers. Jump to it. I bloody love this, Ash. I I really do. I'm so in for this. This is playing Green Hill Zone on Sonic the Hedgehog, race to the end of Act 1, the quickest time possible. You want to talk about a game that each three of these will have probably played to absolute death by this point. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. It was a challenge that we had back in like Series 1, Episode 2. That's how far back we're going here. I, I really like this. I love seeing this. It's like seeing an old friend. And the task for this is so, so simple. Green Hill Zone 1, race to the end, quickest time, and the victory is yours. Five for the fastest, two for second place, zero for the slowpokes. It's so simple. This is the one level of Sonic 
that everyone who can hold a joypad should know because it'd be the level you'd play around your mate's house it'd be the level you'd play in the shops it'd be the level you'd probably play at like games master live or wherever you should know this so this should be a tight race and the one thing you can say is this is a bloody bloody tight race right uh james is up first for the dream team isn't he yep so uh, what's his platform form like then dave <laughs> well james actually came first his previous heat on dragon's revenge which is a pinball game so maybe yeah. even happier if this had been sonic spinball yeah. but if you can't play sonic you don't deserve to be on the show anyway couldn't agree with you more dave it's only the first level and you've got to get through it as quick as you possibly can i think dave actually puts it quite well here when he's talking about it's like if you can't play sonic you don't deserve to be on this show and while i think that is a very harsh way to say it because like i think everyone deserves to be on this show because it's only games dave the the point still stands that like if you want to be a sort of like this top level thing yeah you probably have played a lot of sonic or even just like you know certainly this level as you say so yeah i was really really excited for this but james is up first and dave says he came first in the previous heat on dragon's revenge so maybe be happier if this was sonic spinball luke would you be happier if this was sonic spinball no one would have been happier if this was Sonic Spinball. Although I am sad that Sonic Spinball didn't get a challenge because I felt like in a Series 2 world, it would have done. Hey, you got Skitchin. You can't have it all. Skitchin! <laughs> I did it. I like. I kept saving like Sonic Spinball stuff for when it came up in our timeline. Then it just never really did. So we're now just moving past it. To quote Kenny Rogers, a person that will never, ever appear on this podcast again, sometimes you've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And yeah. that, that, that's your lesson for Series 3. You should have got the Sonic Spinball stuff out when we were talking about Christmas more. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I, I just thought it would have come up on the show at some point. But, you know, anyway, that, that, that's by the by. The, the, this challenge really comes down to like one area because there's this ridge. And if you play the game, you know which bit I'm talking about as well. If you roll up it, you go up into a tree and you get, uh, I think it's like, um, like 10 rings or something. You can basically knock down a little TV and you get some rings. However, if you're in a speed challenge, you do not want to be going up that ridge because it costs you all of the momentum that you have picked up. So all of these lads are looking to get over that ridge, to jump over it and carry on your way. James does really well on that. He manages to get over that. He is just running through. He knows this so well. I, I wrote in my notes here, this was textbook. This was 30 seconds flat. He knew exactly what he was doing here. It was just textbook playing. And to skip straight on to Bradley, he does pretty much the exact same run. Both James and Bradley are flawless in their execution. They know this well. There's maybe milliseconds where their moves are different, but not enough to make a difference. And where one slows down, he speeds up in a different place. Exactly. And they're both 30 seconds on the nose, textbook stuff, genuinely a joy to see because also, Luke, it means we already know we're going to get a tiebreaker of some kind. And so now the pressure is all on Matthew. And Dave says he came second on Magic Boy in the heats and he's going to need some real magic to beat this. And he does not have that magic, unfortunately, because he hits that ridge and that completely costs him it. It's not even just that it slows him down. It throws his rhythm off and yep. he makes multiple mistakes. I felt genuinely heartbroken for him because it is one of those things. You've encountered it in games. I've encountered it in games. One mistake and you may as well just do the level over because you'll never get your rhythm back. You'll never get back in the zone. And it's just a shit thing to happen. And it's a terrible thing to happen at this point in the competition. He still gets 33 seconds, which is respectable. Yeah, but if he hadn't have hit that ridge and if he hadn't like, and then that throwing him off his game, it could have been a very different story. 
Can you imagine if all three had got 30 seconds? How would the production <laughs> team have dealt with that? But, oh, poor bugger. I mean, we kind of know how this is going to go already, but I guess we should probably head over to the scoreboard to find out what's what. The Hawks got none in the last challenge, but they got five in the first one. That means they got five overall. Then the Dream Team, where they scored five in the last challenge, but none in the first one. That means they got five overall as well. But the Gits got two in the first challenge and five in this challenge. That means they've got seven overall. We've got a tiebreaker situation between the Dream Team and the Hawks. What's funny here is that at the start of this, I said, you know, oh, the Humber Hawks, because they won the first round, they've guaranteed themselves to get into the final. So it's down to the, the Gits and the Dream Team. And yet here we are, because the Hawks came last in that challenge, they don't get anything. So the five points that the Dream Team got mean that they are tying with them to go into a tiebreaker. There was very few chances that this could have happened in the team championship. So it's incredibly exciting that it happened in the very first semi-final. I don't know if this was always intended to be the first semi-final, but if this happened purely by chance, man, that's some luck for the Games Master production crew because this is great. So we've got a tiebreaker challenge and I already know that Games Master is very excited by this. Gosh, this is really exciting. For the tiebreaker, I've chosen World Heroes 2 for the Neo Geo. A fearsome beat-em-up with some particularly devastating special moves. The contestant who pummels his opponent into submission after a single round will be the victor. It's a return of a Series 3 favourite, particularly in the team championships. It's World Heroes 2. This has been used for tiebreakers before and it's been used as a challenge. So I think everyone here is kind of on board with what to expect from World Heroes at this point. It's the same as a lot of the other tiebreakers. With racing games, you've got a single lap. With this, it's a single round to the victor. This could go either way. And it's Sam of the Hawks versus Chris of the Dream Team. Sam will be playing as the martial artist King Dragon. And Chris is a piratical Captain Kid, which causes Dex to make these kinds of sounds. All right, shiver me timbers, me hearties. Okay, boys. They're piratical. They're indeed. And really, Sam of the Hawks just dominates this fight. Poor old Chris could not get off the starting blocks here. Big, I, I get the feeling that Sam of the Hawks knows this game way better than Chris does and certainly knows how to play as King Dragon because he just goes in there, uses all the hand slaps, uses a few of the other moves. Like Chris almost looks like he just, he wasn't even holding onto a joypad at any point. This was a one-sided fight. It's also technically a brilliant fight because even just by osmosis of knowing Street Fighter 2, all the moves come out. He very quickly learns which of his standard Ryu Ken type motions work for this character. And so, yeah, he takes him to town and he absolutely owns him. But I love the sheer brass balls on the Dream Team in the post-match. What happened? Were you asleep in that challenge or what? Uh, we, all, we had to let someone else win, you know, but we didn't deserve the prizes because... You didn't deserve the prizes? What, no, you didn't want to win them? No, they're not good enough for us, sorry. Because they, they change tact and it doesn't work, but they start by saying they had to let someone else win because they didn't deserve the prizes. And then they change their mind to go, well, actually, no, it's because the prizes aren't good enough for us. Bollocks, mate. Now, in fairness, the prizes aren't that great in, with the power of hindsight. However, like, I think that, yeah, he was trying to go for a line and it, I don't think it landed at all here. If they'd been doing this on last week's show, Randy Savage would have schooled him on promos, Luke. See, that's how <laughs> impactful Randy Savage was. We were a week later 
definitely not recording it the same night. And Randy Savage is still lurking in the background like a deep-voiced ghost. Right, we're going into a little commercial break. But stay with us because we've got a celebrity challenge after that. Also, we've got these two teams battling it out for a place in the final. Now you can reduce the appearance of wrinkles in just two weeks and discover smoother, younger-looking skin. Created by Laboratoire Garnier Paris, new Wrinkle Lift from Synergy. Extracted from sunflowers, natural hydroxyceramides are concentrated in a light daily cream. Tests prove that after just two weeks, the appearance of wrinkles is reduced. New Wrinkle Lift from Synergy, formulated and controlled by Laboratoire Garnier Paris. Introducing the Looney Tunes family of video games from Sunsoft. Family pictures. There's Bugs Bunny Rabbit Rampage. Now you're talking. Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> Looney Tunes. Flipper and Fuckatash. Roadrunners Death Valley Rally. Beep beep. Tasmania. Finally, Daffy Duck the Marvin Mission. Excellent. Move, Earthling. Kind of pushy for a guy with no mouth. You're despicable, and I'm iridescent. What do you know? Blowing the duck. That's it. The Looney Tunes family of games only from Sunsoft. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. New Dolmio chicken casserole sauces use the best Mediterranean ingredients to bring out the best in chicken. So you can make the best tasting chicken casseroles, like our red wine and mushroom. New Dolmio chicken casserole sauces. Only the best will do. Celebrity Challenge. Please give a big cheer and a big warm welcome to Two Unlimited. Right <laughs> so 
it's been a fairly good year for Two Unlimited, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it was the best year. We had a number one album, yeah. number one single, so... So yeah. things are going well, you're happy with yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And Lee, I hear you're a bit of a games player, is that right? Ah, it's true, yeah. Yeah? You got a computer? I've got a Nintendo at home, right? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Coming back from the ad break, and it is no, 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 no. There's no limits to our celebrity guest this week. Too unbloody limited. We've had them as a number one track in our timeline, and it's actually wonderful to see them as celebrities here. Not that they get to say much because it's a celebrity challenge in series three, but it's always very, very nice. Well, also, I'd say the reason they don't get to say much is because I think Anita's grasp of English is much better than Ray's because there are a couple of moments in this challenge where Dex says or asks something of Ray and you can see that he's just smiling and waving. Yeah. Like there's a bit where he goes, oh, you really want that golden joystick? And Ray's like, sure. (laughs) Yeah. I, I guess. But Dex does kick off the interview pointing out they've got a number one album. They've had a number one single. They've had a bloody good year because this would, of course, be at the tail end of 1993. They really, really have had an absolute cracking year with no limit topping the charts as a single in Austria, Belgium, Finland, France, Ireland, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland and the UK. And the album itself also topping the charts in the UK. And all this despite the fact that the music press, particularly the British press, sticking the knife in wherever they can, including coining the phrase too untalented to describe them. And I just think, man, the music is not the most advanced. They're not going to be going down as composition geniuses of the 20th century. But it was fun. It was fun. It was better than Blobby. Absolutely it was. Like I, I like No Limit. I think No Limit is a really, really fun song. I think it's got a fun beat. And I, I think it, while it may not have stood the test of time, I think it is very dated. I think for its time, I, I, it, it kind of slaps a bit. I, I'm a fan of it. I prefer Twilight Zone actually as a song now. I think Twilight Zone to me is aged slightly better. Yeah. I, I like the hook in it. It's a little less abrasive. In the interview, Dex questions whether Anita's a games player and she agrees that she is and she has a Nintendo at home. Not sure whether that's a NES, a Game Boy or a SNES. Could be either one. But I guess the big question at this point is, will the Nintendo of any kind be the home of the challenge? For tonight's Celebrity Challenge, I've chosen the blistering, beat-em-up, Fatal Fury 2 for the Neo Geo. Our pop-tabulous contestants will go head-to-head over three rounds of no-holds-barred fighting action. The contestant still standing will take home my glittering golden joystick. So that's a no to Nintendo then? Yeah, it's Nintendo no, I'm afraid. Um, oh, hey, this guy. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun as well, because like Dex calls this, like he goes, yeah, it's a bit of an old classic, this one. And I was like, yeah, I suppose it sort of is. It's kind of in keeping. Like the Mega Drive and SNES ports are brand new. But yeah, I suppose the Neo Geo version of this is a classic at, at this time. It's been down the chippy for a while. It was 1992. I mean, like, and, you know, we're all having a really nice time here. Uh, I think Two Unlimited are, are, you know, having a a fun time. The crowd are enjoying themselves. Dex seems on form. I hope Dave Perry doesn't say something fucking stupid and ruin the atmosphere here. And uh, although I hate to bet on girls, I'm putting my money on Anita on this one. Okay, Dave, well, fair enough. That's up to you, mate. Hey, Luke, guess what? (laughs) And it's not the Atari Jaguar joke this time. Say the line, Dave. (laughs) Anita mouths something that is probably just as well we do not understand it because she is not impressed by Mr. Perry's behaviour. 
she looks proper pissed off by it like a proper like oh come on man like are you really pulling this that's what we're going with and the answer is yes yes yeah. he is yeah, yeah absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. pulling this and dex is smart in this one because he distances himself away from mr perry's opinions but on the challenge itself Ray is Joe, who's a carryover from Fatal Fury 1, one of the three original characters. And Anita is May. Now, May is at this point the sex symbol of the Fatal Fury franchise and someone that SNK will carry forward as their leading lady in fighting games. She is their Chun-Li, essentially, yeah. and she is their pin-up. By the way they have portrayed her, you can tell that that was entirely a deliberate decision. But what we've kind of got here is very much Ken versus Chun-Li if we're going to look for the comparable characters from Street Fighter 2. And on paper, despite Dave's bull claims, this should be an easy win for Anita because she is the games player. I've always called her Mai, funny enough. I could be completely wrong. It's quite late. It's been a long week. Mai or May, that character from Fatal Fury 2. Yeah, she's always been my main as well. Like, if I'm playing a uh, King of Fighters, I'm always going as Mai. Uh, even, like, Capcom SNK. Like, Mai was one of the characters I really enjoyed playing as on there. Like, she, I, I'm a big, big fan of playing as her. She is a very good character in capable hands. And I can only imagine that Anita, if a NES owner is not that familiar with fighting games, if a SNES owner is mainly familiar with Street Fighter 2, and if she's a Game Boy owner, see the NES comment because... That's going to be the same sort of thing. I think a lot of musicians were playing Game Boys at this point because they were easy to have while on tour. And even when we were talking about like the bill way back yeah. when, we talked about them having a Game Boy hidden in the drawers between sets. That's right, yeah. This challenge gets underway, and you can tell at the very least that they both understand the fundamentals of a fighting game. They know that they can block, they know that there's punch and kick, and they know that there are jumps. Special moves mostly elude them. There's an occasional grapple, which I feel is more by chance than design. Yeah. But the upshot is, while it is a punch and kick fest, it's a fairly close first round. It's not like the World Heroes 2 tiebreaker. Both of them get chipped down. And realistically, Ray wins it just by being the first to land a blow. Yeah. And it's basically the same in the second round as well. Like, I feel like Mai probably should have taken it. Like, Anita should have taken this, but she just could not land that winning blow. And in the end, it, it's Ray that does. It's, um, I mean, yeah, my note on this was kind of like it's sloppy play, but it's not to be, like, not unexpected for for this time. So I, I, have, I have no issue with the, their style of playing. Yeah, it, it, was, it was actually pretty close. And it's just, it's kind of annoying because I was pulling for Anita to win because I didn't want to hear Dave spouse on his usual nonsense. And unfortunately, because Ray wins two to nothing, we do get another Dave line. Why did I get on the girl? Never. Never fight, Dave. Moving on, post-match, Anita says the character was much too strong for her, and Dex asks if it was because Ray wanted that joystick more, and that's when the lights are on and no one's home for Ray, because he just says, yeah, I wanted it. But he's also doesn't look entirely sure what it is. But he's going to find out because out comes Big McLarge Huge and hands him his joystick, which he does do the appropriate hoisting aloft and then cuddling and cradling it. And one thing I've noticed, even on these VHS transfers, 
Man, those cases attract fingerprints like a bugger. <laughs> Don't they just? Yeah, it was, it was decent stuff. I, I didn't mind it at all, really. It was nice to see two Unlimited on the show. And it was nice to see a fun fighting challenge. As I said, no special moves, but the fundamentals were there. Yeah. It certainly wasn't the worst celebrity fighting game we've seen. Not by a long shot. And whilst nothing will hold a candle to the majesty of last week's celebrity challenge, this was passable, it was enjoyable, and it was nice to see the duo getting some television time. Greetings. I am again ready to put a few more poor souls on the straight and narrow. Who's our first lost cause? Games Master, on Kevin Keegan's Player Manager on Super Nintendo, I've got a very settled squad, but I keep getting loads of transfer requests. What can I do? Poor, poor Kevin. You are having problems, aren't you? Well, you can always give your team a bonus. The bigger the bonus, the happier the team. If you can't afford that, then why not give them some time off training? They could possibly do with a break. Well, speaking of celebrities, that's not our only celebrity this week, because it's only bloody Kevin Keegan. Kevin Keegan, who can't play his own bloody game. <laughs> and he's complaining he's got a very settled squad, but keeps getting loads of transfer requests. What can he do? And I'm just thinking... Bloody hell, mate, your career thus far, you should know what this is. This game shocks me because this is a SNES game that is basically pretty much exclusively for the British market. I'm sure it got released overseas at some point, maybe with a title change or a cast change. But this is Kevin Keegan's player manager for the Super Nintendo, developed by a British studio, released and marketed around Kevin Keegan. And it's essentially a football management sim albeit kind of simplified for the SNES, much in the same way that the SNES modified SimCity. It's taken yeah. that kind of approach, team management. It was based on Player Manager, which was developed by Dino Dini for the Amiga and the Atari ST, was not endorsed by Dino Dini, uh, but players took on the role of the player and coach, beginning as a 28-year-old, and then at the age of 35, which corresponded to the end of the season in the year 2000, the player character automatically declares his retirement. Retiring at 35, eh? Live in the bloody dream. And at that point, you can't control the players during a match. But after a few more seasons, you can sign a nephew or other family member. And at that point, you can actually control the players on the pitch again. So there's a hmm. weird kind of built-in nepotism to the game. I can't say I've ever played it. I can't say I'm likely to. I'm, I like my FIFA occasionally. I, I definitely like sensible soccer. I love World Cup soccer on the Game Boy with its kind of arcadey action. But these kind of games leave me cold, Luke. I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I like Champ Manager. Uh, I, was, I was a Champ Manager 96-97 player in particular. Less 97-98, but I did like the 96-97 season. I probably would have got on with this because I also like Premier Manager as well, like to a lesser degree. I, pr I probably would do, but like, yeah, the simplified nature of it, maybe I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. But, you know, the, the, I kind of like some of the simple, almost theme park type sort of mechanics here of just like, oh, your players have got low morale, give them a week off. And then they just sort of go and sit there on deck chairs and stuff. And it's quite nice. And then all of a sudden they're actually, they're, they're back to being fighting form again. Oh, if only motivating teams was that simple in real life. Games Master, I'm stuck on the first stage of level two and James Bond the Joel and the Master System. Can you help me, please? This is an easy one. Go to the far right of the level and stand on the cue cases. Turn right and shoot. After about five shots, a secret platform will appear. Jump on this and you will find yourself whisked to the top of the level. Thanks, Games Master. You're the best. Kind of like we were saying with Desert Strike, it's just, it's 
kind of like charming to still see some Master System games appear in the consultation zone. Although poor bastard being stuck with James Bond the Jewel and the Master System version at that. I was going to say, well, the Mega Drive version was a bit cack. I can't even imagine what the Master System version was. I can only say the Mega Drive version has some charm, but oof, compared to this, I mean, if there is one thing worth saying about this game is that the Mega Drive version, when released in Japan in 1993, it had the title 007 and then what I think is actually the word Shito, but it's spelt Shito, <laughs> which is accurate. And... The only thing of note about the Master System version is that it's one of the few games that do not work properly on American systems, because although the Master System doesn't have a region lockout, something about the way the game was coded meant it just wouldn't work on American systems. Games Master, on Kevin Keegan's player manager on Super Nintendo, my team are in the doldrums. What can I do to lift the morale? Frankly, Kevin, you're wasting your time. You obviously have no aptitude for the game. Ever thought of tennis? Oh, you're a lifesaver. Thanks, Games Master. Now, this may sound like there was another entry into the consultation zone here, but it's just Kevin Keegan back again so the Games Master can bury him. And it's, and I, I guarantee you here, Kevin Keegan did not know that this was the answer that he got. Because he's there being like, oh, I'm just looking for some more hints on the game. And then Games Master is like, you've got no aptitude for this. Can I suggest tennis? It cuts back to Kevin Keegan and goes, oh, that's great. Thanks a lot. You're a lifesaver. I can only liken this to Space Ghost Coast to Coast, where the people being interviewed had no idea what the cartoon character was actually going to say when it was finished. I I hope Keegan got a laugh out of it because it was kind of funny. I mean, it made me laugh. And I did love the fact that Kevin Keegan was so desperate to shill his own game that he would essentially put himself on national television going, I'm shit at my own game. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Right then, we've got two teams left. They're battling out for a place in the final. Sunil, what do you think of this team then, eh? Chicago Bulls says it all, mate. Says it all, yeah. yeah. Go on, what about this lot? What do you think? Well, they're the gets, so they're hardly going to win with a name like that, are they? Quack, 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 quack. Now, usually at this point, we've talked about this before, we would usually just jump straight into the, what are we playing, Games Master? Because the banter between the two teams is very much the case of, yeah, I think I'm going to win, or yeah, no, I don't think they're going to win. It's not really much to talk about. But I wanted to bring up this one because, I mean, I am a gets man. I, I want the gets to win this. But Sunil here, look like he gets asked, you know, what do you think of the other team? And he just looks at them, and one of them is wearing a Chicago Bulls, either cap or a top. It's a shirt. It's a proper jersey with a big old Chicago Bull on the front. And he's like, Chicago Bulls says it all. And I'm like, mate, the Chicago Bulls keep winning. Like, they're the, they're the winningest team at the moment. Do you remember these shoes? I think I showed them to you before. My Chicago Bulls Converse All-Stars that are sadly slightly too small for me, but I just can't oh. let go of because they're yeah. so good. If anyone wants to make me an offer for a pair of size 10 unworn Chicago Bulls three-peat, double three-peat NBA shoes in red and black, like they've got their, their proper licensed things, but on the back of them, they've got the dates, 91, <laughs> 92, 93. So at the time of recording, this was off the back of the Chicago Bulls first three-peat. Yeah. And if I look at the back of the other shoe, it's got the other three years because they then followed it with another three-peat. So I'm guessing what he was going for was, oh, bull, bullshit. But man, he picked the wrong team because the Chicago Bulls were shit hot at this time. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it, it it makes him look like a bit of a wally. Because I assumed as well that he was going for, like, the bull, you know, bullshit or whatever it was. But yeah, him going, like, Chicago Bulls says it all. I'm like, what? So they're going to win then? And, like, spoilers, they do. 
But enough of that literally mindless trouser banter. Gamesmaster, please save us from this with the last challenge. For tonight's final, our teams will go head-to-head on the timeless classic Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo. The first team past the finishing line after five laps will qualify for a place in the championship final. Oh, this is a fun one, mate. Super Mario Kart, because we've had it as a tiebreaker in the team championships, but we've not had it as a full challenge. So, yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled that we're getting Super Mario Kart. We had it, we did have it as a challenge in Series 2 as well, didn't we? We did, but it was a single player challenge. It was. It was two That's people right. racing yeah. for the fastest time because I remember at the time we said, why aren't you doing this as a head-to-head? And in the case of this challenge, it's five laps first past the finish line, but it is one-on-one. The rest of the racers are absent, so you're either in first place or second place. I asked Games Master to save us and boy howdy, the saviour is amongst us because <laughs> this is a great challenge to end yeah. this first semi-final on. Yeah, so I think we kind of assumed that in Series 2, it was a de- like the, the demo board that you can get for Super Mario Kart, which only has like Mushroom, uh, the, the Mario circuit from uh, the Mushroom Cup as a, just a one-player thing. And then, I'm, so I'm going to guess then that this is just a review board. You know, still, or like it could actually just be like a full SNES copy of it by this point. The finished game was definitely out. So Yeah, it was definitely out by this point. So, like, so it could very well just be the full version. But I was, yes, yeah, super, super thrilled they've got this. And they picked two banging characters as well. Very smart choices here. Sanilla's picked Toad and Sam has picked Cooper, who are the middling racers. They're one of the two that I default to because I find the balance of speed and maneuverability to be in my sweet spot. They accelerate pretty quickly. They don't have the top speed in this version, at least that I remember, but they corner quite well. And a tactic you do see used very well in this race is the jump cornering. They're very good for jump cornering. Very good at drifting. Jump drifting, that's it. They're very, very good for that. And so uh, from the moment we found out which characters they were playing, I was like, oh, this is going to be a good race. And for much of the race, it was the challenge gets underway. We don't get much of a preamble on this one because also the clock is ticking. Let's not forget. Yeah. We've had some sharp cuts in this episode, the past couple of episodes, just to make sure we fit everything in. And from the off, Sunil feels initially like a different class of player. He's going in tight on the corners. He's using jump drift. He's coming out of them better. This is a guy that knows this course inside and out and knows how to shave those seconds off. And there is a moment right at the beginning of this race, after the first few corners, where in my notes I just wrote, he's going to take this. Yeah, it's a cakewalk. But then Mario Kart does that thing that Mario Kart loves to do. It gives the person who's lagging behind the star to try and make it a tenser race. And that is where everything goes apart for Sunil. Because first of all, he loses the lead. But then he gets hit by an obstacle. And maybe it's just because I didn't play enough one-on-one Mario Kart, or maybe this is some sort of pre-production board, but this is not a Cooper shell that he hits. And we've just gone back and we've, we've reviewed the tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was really curious by it, because like, I wrote in my notes, he got hit by a Cooper shell, because I would have expected having, you know, like you play in the game, everyone you know, listen to this is likely played the game. The Cooper shells just bounce around the place and you get hit by it. But yeah, we've just gone back and reviewed the tape and it's it looks like a chain chomp. Like a loose chain chomp is what he got hit by. And I'm just Googling it now. Chain chomp, Mario Kart snares. And I can't find anything. 
to say that the Chain Chomps were in the SNES version of Mario Kart. But either way, it does the same job as a Koopa Shell would have in that it just knocks Sunil back. They show him briefly, you can see the frustration on his face, and at that point, he loses enough ground, he's just not going to get it back. My heart broke for him. I'm pretty sure at that point when they show that cut of him, they, they cut to his face and the frustration in, like that he was showing, I am almost convinced that that was the moment he knew he'd lost. Like He knew that there was no way he was going to come back from this because he does get a star but it's just not enough to get him back that lead because as much as we're putting over Sunil for his control and his composure and his drifting on this, it's not like Sam is no slouch. Sam is also just as good at this game. I would say I, I still have the belief that Sunil is actually slightly further ahead. I think Sam is very good. He's a very competent Mario Kart player. He plays that level very, very safe for the most part. Like He probably slows down a bit coming into corners, so he gets the... He gets the nice, smooth, controlled arc, the sort of thing they always used to go on about on the lap times on Top Gear, where you've got mm. the corner you want to follow. Whereas, you know, Sunil was a more like kind of highly controlled Michael Gambon. He went into the corners full speed, but he knew a few tricks, so he would get through them without losing much in the way of momentum. If they'd both been the same sort of player that Sam was, it would have been a very tight game, and it would also have been, to be honest, a fairly boring race. If they'd both been Sunil's style of playing Mario Kart, we'd probably be talking about this race for another half an hour because it would have clearly have gone absolutely bonkers. I felt so bad for Sunil because the star power thing, as we said, it's part of the game. It's to make the game less one-sided if you've got a really good player. And it, it works. It works for that. It does make for an interesting time. But yeah, it was just bad luck, a millisecond's bad timing. He'd almost cleared that obstacle on a jump. He saw it coming and he did jump, but it was just mm-hmm. a microsecond out. It just feel that's the sort of shit that's going to haunt him. Like he probably would not be able to let that go for a while. And so I felt really, really bad for him. So I was just doing a little bit of sort of clicking around and researching. It's not a chain chomp, it's a bullet bill. And the bullet bills did appear, at least according to this uh, Mario wiki page that I found, do appear in Mario Kart, but only in the match race. Uh, It basically says here, bullet bills appear in Super Mario Kart's match race, where they act as additional obstacles, though only on a few courses. They bounce back and forth between two walls and races that come into contact them will spin out and cause them to bounce off the screen. They only appear from the front, similar to Yoshi Safari. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I literally didn't play that match race that much. If I was playing multiplayer Mario Kart, it was battle mode for me. That's exactly it, yeah. I was going to say, it's either that or doing a Grand Prix. But there we go. Mystery solved. Mystery solved. And plus, we learned something today. And that's always nice. It's always nice to learn something while doing this podcast. Knowing is half the battle. And this was a Japanese copy of the game as well, because when they finish, all the text up on screen is Japanese. So I thought that was quite fun as well. Oh, wow. So they weren't even just playing an... They were playing full-speed Mario Kart before it got the POW slowdown. Whoa. Exactly. They were playing 60 frames a second. Oh, lovely stuff. Sunil! Sunil, you get... What, what went wrong, mate? Uh, oh, he's not a happy man. Well, I don't know. He's, he's got the better weapons, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he took you out a bit nastily, didn't he? Yeah. He was doing quite well for a minute there. Unlucky gets, I'm afraid. We have to get rid of you. You're out. But these guys, you're through in the final! Yeah! Prizes. Yeah. You excited? Yeah. Yeah, easy. Yeah, it's going to be easy, is it? Yeah, easy so far. Easy so far. Well, let's hope it's not too easy for him in the final. Right. I just feel really bad for Sunil in all of this. And like in the post match, 
he's just sort of like just sort of grunts he doesn't like he's just gutted because he knows he probably should have won that and that star and the bullet bill cost him that race and yeah he's just like just sort of grunts and then she goes like yeah he just got the better weapons and yeah it was it, I, I just feel super bad for him particularly like not only just because i was pulling for the gits to win but also because like i, I feel that he probably should have won I guess it's karma for that horrendous clunker of a Chicago <laughs> Bulls joke. <laughs> exactly. But the first semi-final is at an end. Three are down to one, and the first place in the final is secured. Not who we wanted, Luke. Not who we wanted. Not at all, mate. No, no, no. We, I mean, we had the gits down as our like winners that we wanted to go all the way through since they debuted in the second heat. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gutted for the gits. But you know what? Like, it's it's not the worst team to go through, I suppose. Like, they got like they're, they're quite a bit of arrogance about them. But we'll see how they get on, on the actual finals themselves. I mean, and they were good games players. You know, it, mm. it's to get this far, you kind of have to be. Personal differences aside, I think we're beginning to set up for a really, really good final. And I'm really excited to see what we end up with after these next two episodes. But that was episode 23 of series three. Ash, what did you make of it? I really, really like this episode. This has probably been my favourite team championship episode for a while. It's a combination of some good, if occasionally baffling banter from the teams. I thought Dave and Dex, bar the Dave standard at this point, were pretty damn good. And any real major flubs, again, were down to production or lack of time. The games, it was seeing old favourites. The only real negative for me was the review zone. Mm -hmm. I thought the review zone was a clunker. The consultation zone and it's kevin keegan based shenanigans i actually thought was hilarious i i genuinely got a good belly laugh out of that because yeah it's shameless paid promotion but also it's kevin keegan being willing to make himself look like a tit for a middling super nintendo football management simulator and really at that point there's something there for everyone yeah i am um, i loved this episode i really really did and i think part of that certainly comes from the fact that we are looking at like i don't want to use the term like or use this as the reason because they're playing older games it's because they're playing games that they know so they sit down in front of america they know how to play america like you compare that to when those lads sat down to play elf mania which was a new game and they didn't have a blues clue on what they were doing here they're playing games they're so familiar with and because they're so familiar with them they're showing off the skills that they have they're showing off why they are quote-unquote expert game players so I really, really enjoyed that aspect of it. Those three lads knew how to play Starwing. Those three lads knew how to play Sonic the Hedgehog. They knew how to play Super Mario Kart. And that makes it a really fun episode. That is watching players be good at games. And that's what I kind of wanted from the team championship from the very get-go. So yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this. It was banging games a lot of fun and uh yeah i i can't rate this episode enough outside of like you know the review zone being a bit cack i, I thought overall this episode was an absolute stonking winner absolutely and i'm i'm going i'm thinking percentages now and i'm thinking are we gonna break 90 percent for this one because oh, I'm, i yeah i'm i'm breaking 90 percent for this easily yeah I, I guess the only thing that's making me hesitate on that is the review section was incredibly wonky mm -hmm. and 
of all the review sections we've had where there may have been paid promotion involved, that one feels like the most blatant in a long, long time. It's, it feels like the most blatant since the um, that Playmates thing that we had from the Christmas episode, where it was like, oh, and also you should get Clay Fighter. Although I would say at least that one, you weren't burying other games to get a paid promotion over. I no. mean, we're saying it's a paid promotion. We have at this point no evidence that it is. But by extrapolation of you review two other games to put over a football-based platformer, that doesn't sound like something that you would do naturally, particularly as you're not even putting over the best version of that football-based platformer. That being said, everything else in this episode, the action, the teams, and even though we didn't get the result that we wanted, it's a solid 93 for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually had the exact same markdown, 93%. I I thoroughly enjoyed this. I I was going to sort of bring it down for Dave's comments and for that review zone. But Kevin Keegan sort of brought it back up for me. And Kevin Keegan, unknowingly getting buried by the Games Master, um, did bring a bit of a chuckle out of me. So yeah, I'm I'm at 93% for this as well. I've no actual idea whether Patrick Moore was much into football himself, but I imagine he was culturally aware enough of who Kevin Keegan was that he probably actually got a bit of a chuckle out mm. of just getting the chance to bury Kevin Keegan and Keegan not actually being aware of it. But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule every single one of you. Please do follow this podcast on whichever podcast platform uh, you are listening to us from if you haven't already. And you can follow us on Twitter at underconsolepod. We're on Instagram at under.console. And you can send us an old-fashioned email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you fancy a bit of real-time interaction, getting where the cool kids are, on our discord where we've got a lovely buoyant and warm and welcoming community although luke i am a little disappointed because at least one of our supporters and patrons and listeners who shall rename nameless at this point is very kindly carrying out chalk graffiti promoting <laughs> under consultation now i'm going to choose to believe that this is a private wall or side of building that he has the full permission to doodle on But, you know, we don't endorse graffiti supporting under consultation, even if it's kind of cool. Even if it is, or you know, unless it's Banksy or Neil Buchanan. And to be honest, I could be either of those people. We still don't know. (laughs) But if you want details of that Discord, they can be found in the show notes or on our social media. Come on down. Have a good time. And you can support this podcast monetarily and you get loads of rewards for doing so. We have got Under Consultation Extra where we review other TV shows from the 90s and sometimes from the 80s. We've done Nightmare, we've done Crystal Maze, Funhouse, The Real Ghostbusters. We recently did Dale's Supermarket Sweep. It's a really, really good time. It's done in the same UCP style that you're used to here. Plus, you get Under Console Nation, which is our community podcast we do once a month where we all basically just get together have a chat to talk about all things games master and it's a wonderful wonderful time and at the five pound level you get next week's episode one week early and ad free and at the 10 pound level you get a little bit extra ash what do they get at the 10 pound level they get a patreon exclusive mug which also contains stickers and badges that have some patreon exclusive variants retro trading cards currently power rangers and not modern power rangers we're talking the original early to mid 90s power rangers trading cards some retro sweeties are thrown in there and you get five pounds off that first under consultation t-shirt which we're beginning to run low on stocks of luke Uh oh yeah so at some point that t-shirt is gonna go away and will be replaced with another clothing garment what that is you'll just have to stay tuned and find out 
If you want to get on board with that t-shirt while it's available, you can get that along with other mugs, stickers and badges at our website, which is underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jason, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Colin, Cliff, Carol, Adam Warrington, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days time for our second semi-final. Take care, everyone. Good night. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.